last weekend to get us started, which I will admit is only partially true. And I'll tell you the part that is, that is partially true. I'll tell you why when I'm done. But the craziest thing happened to me. I was, I was working as a security control um, guard operator in, in, uh, in the City Place Plaza. I've talked about this building before. It's a place I worked at when I was uh, in college. It's a multi-million dollar facility with um, um, seven, several clients in the building, um, some pretty big name ones, including the national headquarters for 7-Eleven. So everybody that loves the slushies, celebrate. 42 stories high. Marble um, uh, all over the building, kind of, kind of high-end underground parking lot with cars that are way more than I could ever afford. <laughs> you know, just a, kind of a high-end, top-dollar business people kind of a place. And, um, and this, this place was a host to several high-end parties up on the top floor. I mentioned last week De- uh, Deanna ran into MC Hammer uh, one night uh, when he was on his way up to a party. It was just a fun place to work. You know, you would see... You'd see some names and some, some faces that you would recognize every once in a while, some, some kind of uh, people, you know, if you want to call it high class or whatever, some, 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 some names that you would recognize. And so one night when I was working the evening shift, uh, I got on an elevator and I was going to go check out what was happening on the top floor. And we could do this kind of secretively. It wasn't something like, you know, we're just kind of something that we do routinely. But I was going to go up on the, check and f- the, the, the 42nd floor and, and see what was happening that night. Um, and so I push the button and get up to go in the elevator. I'm going up the floor from down, from like way b- below the, uh, the main level floor, going all the way up to the top. I hit the button, and as I am uh, still ascending, the elevator stops on one of the main floors, one of the concourse floors, and uh, President Obama walks into the elevator with me. And what was surprising was there was, there was nobody talking on their wrist, uh, no um, heavy-duty uh, secret security around. Um, and what, what was more surprising is that also walking into the elevator with him was Tom Brady. Now, everybody that was here last week, you've got to keep your cool, okay? Don't ruin it for everybody else. <laughs> so Tom Brady, he, he comes into the elevator with him. And so I'm thinking, this is really bizarre. And even in a high-end place like this, this is, this, is, this is kind of unheard of. You know, President Obama, and he's here with Tom Brady. And, you know, we still got a lot of floors to go, and anything can happen. But then things got even crazier, and Michael Jackson walks into the elevator. <laughs> so we stop at another floor and, you know, I'm just like, what else is going to happen as, as we're ascending here? And, and that's when I went, something is not right here. And they were heading to a costume party. And, um, and so my brother, who, who was uh, in service last week, called me out, as brothers tend to do, right? <laughs> and, and he said, he said, um, you're telling that story, and he said, when you were in college, President Obama hadn't even been president yet. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, okay, I must have got my presidents wrong. But <laughs> I was in an elevator. <laughs> you know, the funny thing was, I should have noticed when Tom Brady walked on the elevator and he had a football uniform on, right? I should have noticed then that something was, was off. But um, so anyways, yeah, my, my brother called me off on, out on that. But um, so some president I was on the elevator with who was in costume, So some of you are thinking, man, this was going somewhere, and then all of a sudden, it did not. Um, And so, but just as I promised you last week, there's a reason for me telling this story of riding uh, an elevator with costume celebrities. And last week, 
as I said, we, we kind of gave a short introduction to this series that we're jumping into. But what I, don't, what I love about that, um, you know, kind of encounter of riding in the elevator, which, which was true. I rode up in the elevator and checked out a, a, a party that was going on, a costume party. Um, it paints a picture of what I think the book of James is all about and, and what James is going to do over the next few weeks. And he's going to strip away all of the exterior and he's going to start with the interior, the inside of who we are. That, that's opposite many times of what we do in the church world where we kind of lead with the exterior, right? But, but God, interestingly enough, is much more interested in the interior. Because here's the deal, we operate out of identity. We do, a lot of us, without even thinking about it, whoever you are and whatever your framework is for who you are, we operate out of identity. So, you know, whatever you say that you are, whatever your framework is for who you are, that's going to determine how you treat your friends, uh, you know, what your calendar looks like. All the things that we do, how you plan, how you spend your money, how you, how you, you know, you, you, you face pretty much every situation in life comes from, it comes out of your identity. And, and, and all, ultimately, um, it, we're going to spring out of our identity. And so James... He starts the whole book with his identity, and uh, he starts in it with this, with this very first verse of his letter. This is what he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nice to meet you. I'm James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's introducing himself, and that's when he says who he is. He puts his identity right out there in front. And he said, that identity, it flashes itself out in James' life as we read through this book. And so when we, he comes into our world inspired by Holy Spirit to do what he's going to do and to write what he's about to write, he first wants to get down at the heart of our identity. And he's asking the question, who do you see yourself as? And this is how we put it last week. Are you, are you a Christian in a costume going through all the motions? Or has something truly happened and your identity has transformed? It's changed. Because when our identity changes, that's when things really start happening. James does, um, he, he, is he, is he, what he does is he sort of bursts through the door. And he says, <laughs> he asks the, this, this question, are you a follower of Jesus? And are you born again? And are you a son of God? Are you a daughter of God? Um, and how do you see yourself? How do you see your identity? If you see yourself as a born-again, spirit-filled and faith-filled son or a daughter, that's going to impact, you know, that, that it's, it's, it's going to impact your whole life. Um, in fact, that's, that's, that's our, our blanket statement for the whole series is it changes everything. It absolutely changes everything. And that's a big statement. But just wait until we get into the book of James and all the, all the ways he's going to get up into our grill. <laughs> so... Not just something, but he ch it changes everything. And James opens it up and he says, if, if this has truly happened to you, if you've taken this step in your faith, you have a personal faith, it's going to affect how you talk to each other and about each other. It's going to impact the way that, you know, you plan your retirement. It's going to uh, impact uh, you, it, it, from our series that we started this year from your might not be in collecting seashells, right? Um, but, you know, it'll, it'll have an impact on the way that you go through tough stuff. James is going to talk about that. It's going to impact the way that you process and read the very word of God. It's going to torpedo your pride, which is something we struggle with, right? It's going to affect your attitude towards the least of these, which we have an opportunity to be the hands and feet just this afternoon, right after church, the neglected and the forgotten. 
it's, it's going to have some impact on the way that you deal with temptation. He's going to talk to us about that. And it's ultimately going to challenge you to prove and to walk out your faith. And James says, I want to know, has your identity changed on the inside? So we started here last week um, and said, if, if you took a look at the book of James as a whole, and you looked for a hinge verse, if you will, that you want to hang the, the rest of the book on, it'll be that one that we opened up with this morning. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, it's useless, it's, it's nothing, so also faith apart from works is dead. And that, that faith, faith without works, in other words, is a guy that puts on a mask at the costume store and gets in the elevator to go to a party. <laughs> right? True faith proves itself and works itself out in every single area of our lives. And this is where the rub comes in for a lot of us, especially in the modern church, because we know that the gospel that we're familiar with and the gospel that we live and, and we move in is a gospel and a message. It's a message of grace. Paul says in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of? Okay, so, so what's going on, Paul and James? Let's get our, let's get our act together. Let's, it, it's not a result of work so that no one can boast. Okay, so d- we all know that, I think, that destiny is a house of grace. This house is a house of grace. Jesus is a king of grace. Our story is a story of grace. Um, our story is not try your best, work harder to, you know, to, to work your way into kingdom. That's not the story at all. Our story is grace built a bridge from heaven to earth, you know, for us. And um, so that's how we get into a relationship with God. But James comes in and he says, yes, that's true. And there's also another side to this. We are saved by grace, but real grace and real faith are alive. And when they are alive, they move out into all of the areas in our lives. And when they do, things change. Faith without works, James says, is pointless. It's dead. It's worthless. James is stepping into the equation and it feels a little bit challenging, doesn't it? (laughs) Right from the get go, it's like, who is this guy and where did he come from? And so that's what we're going to do today. What we didn't have the time to do last week. Let's, so let's find out a little bit more about this guy, James. Back to verse one. Let's do some Bible trivia. I think everybody is at this level in the Bible trivia uh, uh, class this morning, who wrote the book of James? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> James. So right in chapter one, verse one, it tells us that, hey, I'm James. And who is he? He's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. But which James? Because there's lots of James in the Bible. There's a disciple, you know, there's disciples who are James. There's other James that appear in the story. Which James are we talking about? We're talking about James, the brother of Jesus. That's, that's, you know, we, some of us know that. It's a little bit hard for us to, when we really start thinking about it, wrapping our, our, our mind around. That's a little weird to think about. Some of, some of you are like, no, Jesus came you know, down out of heaven. He was born of a virgin. Well, yeah, but he ended up in a family. He ended up in a family and his parents had other children. And so he sat around the dinner table with brothers and sisters. And you know, just like a lot of us. And 
as he was growing up, I, I kind of wonder this, you know, did, did he fight over things in the house or did he, when that kind of situation happened, did he just multiply like the toy that everybody was fighting over? Here, you have one, you have one. <laughs> I don't know. And, and, and how did it work in the bathtub? You know, was he walking on water when he was little? We don't know. It's, it's just interesting to think about Jesus' family life. It's fun to think about. But the point that I'm getting at this morning is that he lived in humanity. And I know that it's hard for us to sometimes get our minds around, but one of his brothers was named James, and James ended up being the author of this book. So who is this guy? But besides the whole brother of Jesus thing, I want you to see the story in the arc of James' life, because some of us know full well that he didn't start out being the kind of material that you would think that Holy Spirit would use to write a book in the Bible. Um, he started out being a naysayer to Jesus. He wasn't a fan. He, he actually was more of a scoffer at his own brother and, 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 you know, the calling that was on his life when he first started out in the story. So um, if you have your scripture with you, or if you're following along on the handouts or on the screen, I just want to drop down in a few places in the Gospels with you so that you can see this with your own eyes. Um, I could just run by the text, but I want us to, like, actually put our eyes on it. I want us to read it together this morning. So Matthew chapter 13 Beginning in verse 53, it says, When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and, and, and he's coming into his hometown. He, he taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished. And they said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and... And are not all of his sisters with us? When did this man get all these things? And then the next line, here's, here's the people in his hometown, you know. It's, it's, it's not the picture of, welcome back, we're glad you're here. This is amazing teaching and, and phenomenal miracles that you're doing. No, that, that wasn't the scene. The last line says that they took offense at him. So in all probability, there's our author right there. In this picture, everybody in the hometown is going, man, we don't know what happened. Who is this guy? Isn't he the guy that grew up, you know, across the street? You know, we, we know his family. We know where he's from. And his dad is the guy that made the furniture for our house. Isn't this James' brother? You know, that's the kind of talk and the conversation that's happening. And, and so fast forward a little bit. Let's go over to Mark chapter 3. Jesus' ministry is unfolding a little bit. Great crowds of people are swarming everywhere that he goes. And it says in verse 20, it says, Then Jesus, as we talked about, Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, quote, He is out of his mind. End quote. So they showed up where all these people were crowding around Jesus, not to applaud, not to champion him. They, they, they came to seize him. It's like they're coming through the crowd and they're saying, we're sorry, excuse us, excuse us, excuse us. Uh, uh, you know, he's, he's talking crazy again, isn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah, we've seen this before. And, you know, when he gets off his meds, we never know what is going to happen. And so they're, they're trying to shut him down. And, and they're trying to get Jesus, and they're really, they're trying to take him back to the house. They're embarrassed. They're trying to hide him. And so fast forward a little bit more. James is in all of these moments. Let's go to John chapter 7. 
Jesus' ministry has advanced a little bit more now. He, he understands that it's dangerous for him to move into uh, certain areas, and his brothers are right in this, this equation as well. Verse 1, John chapter 7, it says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers, thank you, James, said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And you're like, well, they finally get it. They finally understand. I mean, hey, if you, know, if you want to make it big, you know, you got to go to Jerusalem, man. He's like, you know, you, you should go show the big boys, you know, what, what you can do. Whoo, you know, you're doing some amazing stuff, teaching some amazing truths. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not the scenario. It says in the very next verse, for not even his brothers believed in him. So it's like a, it's almost like, it's like they're saying this sarcastic thing. Well, go and prove yourself, Jesus. If, you can, if you're doing all of these things, if you really can do all of these things, you know, go and prove yourself. Go and, go and do it where people are going to really take notice. Maybe they're just wanting to get him out of town. I don't, I don't know. But it says not even his own brothers believed in him. So all the way through the story, James is not a good candidate to get into your world and into my world and to say everything should change when you meet Jesus. <laughs> not from the beginning of the story. James is actually not a fan of his brother. And nor is he convinced that his brother is Messiah. He doesn't understand the plans and the wisdom of God and this whole story. And he's actually scoffing at his own brother saying, yeah, why don't you go up to Jerusalem, bro? Go do your thing. And then all of a sudden the tide turns. And we know that Jesus ultimately, he goes to Jerusalem. He's crucified for the sins of the world. He's buried, he's raised from the dead. And on the third day, he appeared to a multitude of people. And we'll talk about that again in just a minute. Then he ascends into heaven and a church is born. And when that church is born, there's this tide that has now turned. And we see, and, and, and I'll just give you some references that you can write down and check, um, check out this week as you're doing your own study. But Galatians chapter two, verse nine. If we look there, Paul is writing and he refers to James, the brother of Jesus, as being one of the pillars in the New Testament church. Okay, what happened? So a church is born now, and guess who the dude is? <laughs> guess who's leading the pack? Guess who's leading the charge? James, the guy who didn't believe. He was scoffing the whole time, making fun of his brother, trying to get him back to the house. That guy is now leading the charge. Let's go to Acts 12, 17. Peter gets arrested and miraculously gets released from prison. And as soon as he gets out, he says, will somebody get word to James? <laughs> will somebody tell James that all these things took place? James is an important figure in the New Testament church. And then Acts 15, 13, there's a big debate going on. Guess what it's about? <laughs> Grace versus works. <laughs> and in this huge debate that could have ripped open the church in Jerusalem in its earliest days, we see James the brother of Jesus take the floor and he leads the conversation. So how did he go from being a scoffer to being, I'm James, I'm a servant of God and what? A servant of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> how did that happen? 
Well, I believe it, it happened in 1 Corinthians 15. We, we'll see this story unfold. So Paul is writing about he, how he came to see Jesus as alive from the dead. Um, but in the story, there's something pretty powerful. So verse one, if you'll follow along, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, this is Paul talking, in which I stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then Paul unfolds this, beginning in verse three. He says, I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And here's a great part about that. Most of whom were still alive. Those of them have fallen asleep. Now, 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 James had come through an interesting process by this point. Just pause for a second. And I believe all of us are gonna come through this on some level. James did not believe what Jesus was teaching the beginning of this story, right? We just saw that. He didn't believe that, that Jesus was the Messiah, sent of God, but something happened. And what happened was that there was a resurrection from the dead in the story. And the beautiful thing about that today is that James gives us this great backdrop for anybody here that's investigating the claims of Jesus, anybody that's watching online this morning. So if you're here today and that's who you are, and I'm glad you're here, it's not an accident. <laughs> if you're hearing um, uh, this voice on, on podcast or, or YouTube or Spotify or somewhere a month from now or 10 years from now, <laughs> it's no accident that you're hearing the sound of my voice. Uh, because the gospel story that we're talking about today is a transformational message of Jesus that is open to investigation. If there's doubters, it leaves, he leaves it wide open to investigate. In other words, it all happens in public. He died in public. He was buried in public. Uh, he was raised in public. He appeared to Peter, then to the 12, but that's not enough. It says he appeared to the 500 people at the same time. And then he says, Paul, he says, many of whom are still alive. In other words, someone can say, I saw him. And then somebody else in the room can say, yeah, and he saw him too because he was there. We were all there. In fact, y'all were there. <laughs> we were there. I was there. You were there. You were standing right beside me. We all saw him alive from the dead. And I love what Paul writes here because this isn't a book that was concocted by some people in the upper room of a house you know, kind of in a court, or, you know, it wasn't a scene where it happened out in the woods somewhere 500 years after Jesus died. Paul said most of the 500 people are still alive right now. Go talk to them. Go ask them. And so you can go on and ask any one of them that they were there when Jesus appeared. And he showed them the scars in his wrist and in his side and in his feet, and he was alive from the dead. So, see, the gospel itself is it's an objective truth. Yes, faith is a subjective thing, but it's faith in an objective reality that you can investigate. And so you can put it under the microscope, you can test it out, you know, you can test out the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, there's other historians that recorded the story. You can read the history books. This is not, you know, how you concoct some kind of off the radar kind of, uh, crazy, cuckoo kind of spiritual movement. You know, if you, if you want to make up some sort of new spiritual movement, 
um, trust me, you're not going to want to base it on objective reality. No, you're going to base it on some subjective thing that happened to you probably when you were all alone. Like I was walking in the forest and I, I found a clearing in the trees and all of a sudden there was a drawer and I opened up the drawer and all of a sudden I knew I was God, you know. <laughs> that would be the story. You know, every kind of seat of my pants spiritual movement is based off of, of a subjective, I heard, I saw, I know, only I know, I got the secret code, I know the secret thing, I was there, I was there, and I saw, and I understood everything, therefore, everybody should follow me. Jesus is not like that. And so with him, all of this faith is resting on an event that happened in the wide open spaces, and uh, it's even an event that can be proved and tested by, by, by means of investigation, by means of a legal process. It's, it's a fact that is part of history. And if it's not real, trust me, we're going to know that by now. Uh, but if it is real, you know, we're going to see that as well. And so I'm telling you, it's real because the carpenter from Nazareth changed the destiny of nations. He, he changed the destiny of people, and he changed the, the, really the destiny of generations. And, and it, it's factual. And if you, if you were in this moment, you could just go talk to the 500 people. Isn't that just awesome? I mean, just kind of step back and just kind of look at that, just one little piece of scripture, that one little point that God isn't asking you to put your eternal hope in some kind of midnight forest moment <laughs> that nobody else was around for. But he's asking you to investigate the claims that he's making here through Paul. So Jesus died for our sins. According to the scripture, Roman soldiers were there because they were a part of the process. He was buried, he was raised, and on the third day, according to scriptures, he appeared to Peter. And you would expect that for the 12. You know, we're excited that he appeared to the 500 all at the same time. That's awesome. But then look at verse 7. Then he appeared, and are you ready? What does it say? He appeared to James. Then to the apostles, and last of all, Paul says he appeared to me. Can you imagine the meeting between Jesus and his brother? <laughs> Anybody have a brother in the, in the room? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> have you ever heard your brother tell you, I told you? <laughs> some, of, some of us, it might be a little bit meter. I, I told you so. But, you know, can you imagine this meeting? Jesus appears to the 500 and he, he's, he appears to the 12. And yes, he appears to Peter. But then he says, I got to go find James. I guarantee you James wasn't looking for him. <laughs> but Jesus was looking for James. And can you imagine when Jesus finds him? Hey, what's up? Scars. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm just imagining what it was like. Look at my scars. You know, what, did, 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 do you think he came and he said, you know, what were you saying? Were you saying... Go to Jerusalem, bro. Is that what you're saying? Is that, does that, is that what I remember you saying? You know, bro, and, and get in the, you know, the big lights of Jerusalem. You are such a Messiah. They can't wait to have you there. Remember when you came to that guy's house and, and you're like, he's crazy? Did he bring any of that up? The meeting isn't recorded in Scripture. I can't, I can't go and look and say that this is what happened. You're like, well, tell us about the meeting. Well, I can't. It's, it's not in the story and writ, in the written inspired word of God. But what can we infer? Well, we can infer that the scoffer became a pillar of the church. 
we can infer that, you know, he, James went from he's out of his mind to he's the son of God. And we know this by the evidence of the, the historians that in 62 AD, only 30 years roughly after Jesus was raised from the dead, James was a martyr for the faith, being stoned because of his commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a martyr who gave his life for this brother of his, Jesus Christ. So how do you go from being a scoffer to a servant? From being somebody who wanted to distance himself from the claims of his brother to someone who claims, I'm a servant, not just of God, but I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus. How do you get there? I think that you get there when he appears to you alive from the dead. <laughs> right? And then two things, you know, when that happened, when that meeting happened, two things became instantaneously and overwhelmingly true. Number one, the factual nature of his resurrection is undeniable. I mean, he's standing here right in front of me, right? <laughs> he's right there, scars and all. But secondly, maybe most importantly, maybe most transformingly, is the reason for his resurrection is now clear. He comes, and I, I can imagine Jesus saying to James, you know that day that we were sitting out, you know, by the lake, and I was trying to tell you that this was God's way of restoring mankind to him, back to him. And I was trying to, I was trying to explain it. I was trying to tell you, it kind of looked crazy, but the reason I, you know, the reason I don't look like that, <laughs> I was trying to explain it. it. The only way to get to God wasn't, you know, to keep doing some religious things over and over and over again. It was God making a final uh, and one-time sacrifice. It was going to be me. And I, I, and I was trying to explain this, and you were like, you're crazy. <laughs> and, you know, you're out of your mind. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, this is what I was talking about. This is it. I'm here. And James, it was for you. This is the reason. It's for you. It was for you. Yeah, we grew up around the same table. And for those two years, maybe we slept in the same bed together. <laughs> and we ran up and down the same streets and we played in the same fields. But this was the plan all of along. It was for you. And that's when James got it. That the resurrection is real. But the resurrection is also for me. That... You know, I could have a way to God and that this guy that, who grew up in my house, <laughs> I called him brother, but, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in a way his brother, but I'm, I'm not his brother. He's from God and, 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 and through my mother and he's the bridge to forgiveness and a life. It's, it's a little, it's a lot for me to explain, but James was radically transformed <laughs> in that moment. Can you just... Imagine that being the, that, that for me is the moment that James was transformed. That was the moment. And so, you know, those people in the church who have grown up, you know, going to things like 
vacation Bible school and all the way up there saying, you know, I've loved Jesus all of my life. I've just always loved Jesus. I, I, I don't even really know when I put my faith in him because I've just, I've grown up in that family and that environment. I've always been a believer and that's really cool. That's a great, that's an amazing, absolutely fantastic testimony. But then you meet those other people who are like, oh man, well, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you my story. I was a mess. I was crazy. I was down in the hole. I was out of it. And, and God came and he saved my life. And look at me now. I am alive. I have a family now. This is unreal. Jesus changed everything. This is phenomenal. This is amazing. He was my rescue. And we're like, hey, chill, bro. You, know, have, you have all eternity. Be excited. <laughs> well, James, he got saved. James got saved, saved. <laughs> And when, when he had an encounter with Jesus, it was transformational. And therefore, he opens up his letter. He begins, and he doesn't say, hey, this is James, you know me, I'm, I'm the big bro, you know, who grew up in the same house with, with the Messiah. No, he says, I'm a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus. A shift happened for me that was pretty radical. You, you might have known me before, but there's... Let me start by saying that. I've changed my mind. <laughs> this, this is the Jesus that James met. And, and Jesus set it all up. I'm going to appear. Peter's going to see me. I'm going to have to talk to him about that fireside thing and all that business. The 12, they're, they're just freaking out. You know, they're, they're, they're excited. They, they got to see me. I, I, I need a big crowd. I need 500 people. They're going to see me. But, but James, I'm going to make a beeline for James. And without shame and without grace, I'm going to come and meet him face to face. Where's James? Without a doubt, Jesus radically changed James' life. And I, th I think there's too big of a value on being safe. In fact, you know, we hear it all the time. You're talking to someone, um, their, their kids are in, in, in high school, and they'll say something like, oh, don't worry about them. You know, they're, they're with the good kids. They're hanging out with the good crowd. Or, you know, those kids that they're running with, they're, they're all good kids. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about all of them. Are you sure about that? <laughs> you know, yeah. They're, but yeah, you know, they're, they're good kids. So when did that become the goal of everything, right? We, we just want our kids to be good. Good kids don't necessarily grow up and change the world, right? I mean, I, I will say for, you know, Destiny Foursquare Church, you know, our heartbeat here is not to raise up good middle schoolers and, and good high schoolers or, or children. And what we hope for here is that students will have a transformational encounter with Jesus that changes everything in their lives, um, that their hearts are set on fire, right? And that they, they'll see their mission to be agents of God and to be spreaders of gospels everywhere they go in their life. But that, that's not always safe. And so when you hear people talk about, well, I know myself, my, so my salvation is secure. Well, that's fantastic. Praise God for that. Yes, amen. But that's not the goal. The goal isn't, oh, he's doing a lot better. He's in church now. <laughs> well, I'm glad that somebody's back in the church. I like it when people come to church. But being in the church isn't necessarily the goal, right? I heard somebody say just the other day, I, I, I was hearing this in conversation. I said, well, man, I feel like things are changing for me. I've got that spiritual component in my life. You know, it's kind of uh, getting back on track. And I'm thinking to myself, that's awesome. But the best news is going to be when that compartment takes over your whole life. 
and you let Jesus move all the way in, that's, what gonna be, that's what's going to be next level. And I get it. I'm, I'm a struggler just like you, so I celebrate even one centimeter of progress that anybody makes in their walk with Jesus. I do. But the goal isn't to be good. The goal isn't to get our salvation settled. The goal isn't that we, you know, have a spiritual compartment um, or division to our lives. The goal isn't to be in church. The goal is to have an encounter with Jesus that is so powerful and so transformational that we go from being a scoffer to being a servant of God. And please understand, I think you can read this into the text James wasn't saying that he was a slave to Jesus, saying that he was a servant, but, he, but that he was his friend also. And so I want to serve him because I love him. He's done so much for me, and I can hardly wait for what's next. What's next, Jesus? I'm ready. So my hope today is that you can think of the furthest person you know away from Jesus right now the person that you're pretty convinced they will never come around and say yes to Jesus. Well, they might. James did. And they can investigate the open claims of Jesus, but the more powerful thing today maybe as we start this journey of James is that you come to realize that the doors to the elevator are gonna open in this book, and this was the setup from last week, Jesus is going to get in the elevator with you. And I just have this picture of him, and he's going to push every button on every floor. He's going to do that thing. <laughs> he's going to push every button on every floor of your life, and he's going to say, let the doors bust open on every floor because we're going to walk into every single one of them and transform them. Because the new identity in Jesus changes everything for the better and for the good. I think um, I'm going to close with this. Bear-sized transformation this is the title of today's message. I think one of my favorite stories um, I've heard from summer camps, and I've been at a, a lot of nights of summer camps. I was our district next-gen guy uh, for almost a decade and oversaw about 14 different camps that were running every single year in our district. We've been to a lot of camps over the years. I, I have tons of stories that I could tell. I absolutely love the impact that camps have on the next generation, and, and, and this month has been phenomenal. I mean, if you, if you haven't heard me say it before, I'll, I'll pound my fist on the table for summer camps. I believe in them. Send your kids to camp. Um, there is life-changing, rearranging, fall-on-your-face moments that happen every single year. But there's also some pretty out-there and crazy things that happen, too. And so if you know camp culture, you know. Um, it just gets a little crazy fun sometimes. And so... Um, I heard Louis Giglio um, share this story, and I just thought, what a perfect picture to, to kind of wrap up uh, our story today. He was sharing this story that I want to share today and close with. He was talking about passion camps. If you're familiar with Louis Giglio, you know he started the uh, passion movement with Chris Tomlin, David Crowder, a lot of big names in the, uh, the passion uh, worship band. They, they minister to, to more young adults, probably the, more than any I know in our country. Um, he's, a, he's a kind of a big name guy, and they started Passion Camps out on the East Coast. And so he's telling the story on a podcast about um, Passion Camps and that this, the camp that his uh, church hosts out in Atlanta. And this, so this happened just a couple of years ago. 
And they have this character there called Chaos Bear. Can we see a picture of Chaos Bear? He is the one in the middle, in case uh, you're confused. And when Chaos Bear comes out, every, they, they do this like right in the middle of a worship service. Every, all the kids go crazy and like uh, Chaos Bear is like worshiping and all the kids like worship even harder. And it's just this crazy camp moment that you have to be there kind of to understand, right? If you've been in camp culture, you know and you understand that how, how it works. It's just a, like, it doesn't make sense maybe if you hear it from the outside, but if you're there, it's like oh, Chaos Bear comes out, man, and then kids just worship like crazy. And so when Chaos Bear comes out, everybody just goes crazy and worships and they, they lose their mind and they, they worship uh, God and so they, they bring him out maybe for a minute or two minutes and then chaos bear disappears. And then they go back to the normal, you know, previously scheduled worship. And so chaos bear is amazing, but even from a distance, I think all of us in the room and anybody that's there at the camp probably knows that he um, is and already has figured out that he is not a real bear, right? So this is the gospel story of James all over again. So Louis Giglio is a big name, right? He's, he's a guy that walks into the room and, and he, can, he can kind of ask some things that maybe some other people in the room can't ask. So he was the camp speaker this year. And he comes in and he, he's watching Chaos Bear and he's, he's loving the, uh, the energy and, and the, uh, the things that are happening at camp. He's, he's loving what God is doing. And, and so Louis, he's, he's, he's got some clout. He's a camp speaker this year and he texts the leader of the camp. And he says, what are the odds that we can get a real bear here tomorrow night for chapel? <laughs> what are the odds? This is a true story. The camp director is like, he gets a, he takes, he gets a text message back. He says, I'll get back to you. <laughs> I'll get back to you. So they had to find a loophole. The, the camp was in Florida. In Florida law to make it work, but they did. And it was all legal and it was legit and it was right. They couldn't bring a bear on campus. They could bring a bear on campus, but it just couldn't spend the night. Well, hey, no problem. He didn't need to spend the night. Um, they, did, they just wanted him for the chapel service. And so as long as the bear showed up, comes to the evening session and then get, gets out of the county by midnight, we're good. And so they found somebody who's actually just down the road. Louis telling the story that there was a bear sanctuary. So these people... I'm, uh, I'm not totally sure how they found him, but somebody must have had a phone number or knew that they were there. They, they brought a bear, and Louis pulls up backstage the next night, and there's a bear trailer. And they had to fill out all this liability paperwork, and there's one guy standing there that's, like, missing a chunk from his leg that made him a little bit nervous. But these guys, they came along with this bear. They promised that everybody would be safe. And, you know, they had harnesses and, and chains. But this actually happened. And I've got a picture of it. And so you can see, kind of on the big screen is the picture of the bear. There's Chaos Bear over there and the real bear. I think we've got another close-up picture. Can we see that one? The next picture? <laughs> a little blurry. But I, 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 I thought this was pretty phenomenal. And... and so somebody's thinking right now, what is wrong with these people? I'm never sending my child to passion camp. <laughs> and I mean, you know, that's your prerogative. But I've been at district camps in Colorado where the group leader's job at, at the end of the day is to go on bear watch at night. So <laughs> here's the deal. Pastor Louie's point was simply this. And I, and I, love, I, I love this. this. And it was, here's who the message was primarily aimed at. It was aimed at a bunch of the kids who had been around church all their lives. Like me, 
maybe some of us in the room. It was another picture of here's the big difference between a student who's just kind of going through the motions and putting on a costume, a Christian costume, and being a transformed follower of Jesus. There's a big, big, big difference from being a person in a costume and actually putting your faith in Jesus and becoming a born-again son or daughter of God. It's having your identity changed. And James is all about starting right there, a bear-sized transformation. I mean, buckle up, because he's going to talk to us as we move forward about taming our tongue, which is good because some of us are burning down our house right now with our words. He's going to talk to us about suffering through trial because I'm just guessing I don't need to be prophetic right now, right? Some of us are going through some stuff. He's going to uh, talk to us about how to get wisdom that's pure and it's from God because who needs that right now? (laughs) I need that. Maybe you have some big decisions that are on the horizon. Don't walk it alone. How How about facing temptation? Again, for some of us, we've been lured in, bait, hook, line, and sinker, and we need some wisdom and James is going to drop it on us. And, and so uh, some of you, you know, are asking, you know, can we just get to the powerful and the practical principles of faith, James? And James says, yes, we can. But before we do that, I want to tell you who I am. I'm a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus. I went from growing up knowing everything about this kid and not liking him very much at all to honoring him as my savior and the Lord of my life. And in that moment, everything changed. And without that moment, this is just going to be some principles that you're going to try in your own strength to to work out. And that's not what God has in mind for this uh, book and for this series together. So um, God, let's, let's stand as we close. God wants to change you from the inside out with a brand new identity so that you can say, guess what? I'm a servant of God. So this is where James starts. James, who's had a pretty transformational um, thing happen in his whole, his whole life, and then he comes up and he starts getting in everybody's grill. <laughs> and uh, it's like we need the doors to open, and I need Jesus to get on that elevator and just hit all the floors, and I need to let him change it all. So that's our prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. You're so good. We love you so much. Um, God, we just pray that... Um, as James walks us through his own transformational story from being a scoffer and a disbeliever and somebody that uh, wasn't so sure about your plan to somebody that was willing to give his life for it. I pray that, uh, Lord, there'd be a transformation that happens in our lives. Every single one of us in this room, God, speak to us. Your word is living and alive. Speak to us, move us, change us from the inside out. That's what we want. Amen.